Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo und welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga Podcast. I'm Manuel Feit, he's Stefan Bienkowski. Stefan, how's it going? Yeah, very, very well. Another good weekend of German football. Uh, clearly not as good as you because on camera you currently look like you've died and gone to Seattle Sounders heaven because <laughs> you've kind of got this bright light above you and surrounded by sign tops from the Sounders. So it's quite a sight to behold for anyone who's, who's, who's watching. Those are white caps. Those are Whitecaps tops. Um, I am in Seattle, yes, but those are the Vancouver Whitecaps. My... Uh, my buddy also best man in my wedding um shout out to brett graham um he is an enormous vancouver whitecaps fan and was misplaced to seattle through work uh he works for one of the big tech companies here and um yeah i guess he hasn't yeah he gave up on the vancouver canucks he's joined the kraken um but he's not <laughs> given up on the whitecaps <laughs> he's still a whitecaps fan through and through uh which you can tell obviously these are not mine um, yeah, some good memorabilia here. <laughs> but yeah, Seattle's been good. Um, I love coming down here. It's a really, really short flight from Victoria where I live, like 25 minute flight, right? Just across mm. the Puget Sound and um, yeah, took it to sport, went to the Kraken Canucks game, um, did the Seahawks yesterday, so a little bit of other sports. But I did thankfully have time to watch all the Bundesliga games, Stefan, and that's been good. It's been a pretty crazy weekend. Again, we say this every weekend. Um, and so we have tons to talk about. So we should probably jump right in, eh? This episode of the Game Pressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Basketball is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You always find the latest odds, team matchup info, players' news, and game trends at Bet Online. And as you continued source for all sports wagering information, BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to BetOnline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. That is BetOnline.ag. Make sure to use our promo code BELIEVE to receive your rewards. That's Believe, B-L-E-A-V. Bet online where the game starts. Where do you want to even start? <laughs> like, this is the, the, the problem I have every week. It's like, where do you even start? Um, you know what? Let's start with like the easier topics or quote unquote easier topics because we've had mm. this debate kind of on, on Twitter. Bayern Munich wins 6-2 against Mainz uh, at the end of the day, an easy victory for them. Sven Ulreich in goal. Um, gave away a penalty, didn't look so good at one of the goals, but I guess if your team scores six goals, it doesn't really matter. Hmm. Uh, Chupumoting yet another goal. He's pretty good, that guy. 
Um, <laughs> but I think the, the, the big questions that Bayern Munich have, and, and you know, Bayern Munich always ties in really nicely with the national team. We're getting closer to the World Cup. The good news for Hansi Flick is the core of his team is in excellent form because the core of his team plays for Bayern Munich. Um, the bad news, quote-unquote, is that Manuel Neuer has been struggling with a shoulder injury. Um, he was today back in practice. Um, mm. We've seen him do contact exercises and the shoulder looked very healthy. Nonetheless, um, the question is, will he be fit? I, this is this is a theme throughout his career, right? We had that in 2014 where he had problems. 2018, he came back with a, from a one-year um, hiatus from a metastasal injury. This year, mm. it's the shoulder once again, uh, shoulder and elbow. And um, he didn't look always very good at the beginning of the season. I put a lot of that down to, and I think I remember saying that to you, I think he he doesn't look fit, right? And then it turns mm. out, well, he wasn't. He wasn't fit at all. Um, but, you know, there does come the question is, if he is doesn't get any games in before the World Cup, do you need to make a switch to Ter Stegen or to Kevin Trapp, who I thought was also excellent and has been excellent for a while? Like, mm. what do you think? Yeah, it's a really interesting one because... We talked about this on Twitter briefly, or I just kind of met, brought it up, and as usual, you jumped in and you, your horde of fans came with you um, because I basically said something along the No, I've, God, actually, I've already forgotten the talk. No, it was I think it was Jonathan Harding maybe was talking about uh, Neuer yeah. now, and I basically said, look, as things stand, I'm not even sure he should be Germany's number one because of the form he was in this season. Obviously, as you said, a lot of that's down to fitness and injury, but... Mm. The thing is, even though he's back in training now and he's back training, this has already happened, what, once or twice this season where he's come back, he's gone away. I mean, during the last international mm. break, he was also out recuperating. So it's whether or not this is a serious injury which he's gotten over and he's now back to full fitness or whether it's a niggly thing that he can't get rid of and he can play one week, has to miss out another in and out. And I just kind of... The way I look at it right now is even though Ter Stegen's playing for a very poor Barcelona side, I think he's having a very good season. I think he's always been probably of that kind of class or that generation of goalkeepers that came up behind Neuer. I've always thought Ter Stegen's probably the one with a high ceiling. Uh, I think he's always been the best all-round keeper that Germany have had after Neuer. Um, you know, mm. and he's obviously much better than Bernd Leno, I think, for example. Um, Trap. Perfectly good alternative as well, I think. I think Ter Stegen's maybe a little better all-rounder. Trap's a very good shot stopper, obviously. Um, but yeah. and either way, I, I think I'd probably be quite comfortable with Trap or Ter Stegen in goals for Germany if Neuer's not fit and he's not showing his full fitness or he's not, he's not back to top form. Because the way I look at it is that Germany, I, I don't think, are going to win or lose this World Cup based on who's in goals. You know, I just think they've got such bigger problems elsewhere in the pitch that it's it's just not going to come down to whether it's Manuel Neuer or Ter Stegen because when you when you get to that point, you're talking about small percentiles of quality of match winning ability, and you know, even though I had a whole wave of presumably Bayern fans kind of jump on me and when I talked about this on Twitter and saying, you know, I'd rather have Bernd Leno than Ter Stegen. It's like, well, are you really saying that because mm. you genuinely think Bernd Leno's better or is it because you're a Bayern Munich fan and you've just watched your side thrash Barcelona twice in the Champions League, which is understandable, you know, uh, with a bit of confirmation mm. bias kind of thrown in there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a really interesting problem for Hansi Flick because... 
we're also kind of quickly approaching this point in Neuer's season where for club and country, um, you know, his co- both both head coaches are probably having to begin to think about his succession plan. Obviously, uh, when it comes to Bayern Munich, uh, there's, uh, what's his face, who's away off to Monaco. I've already forgot his name. What's the goalkeeper's name again? Nubel. That's right, yeah, Nubel. Alexander Nubel, who has been kicking and screaming in Munich for the last two or three seasons. Well, maybe not him specifically. His agent certainly has. He doesn't. His agent doesn't miss a trick when it mm. comes to like doing interviews and saying, look, we left Schalke under the precise promise that we'd be getting game time and Manuel Neuer would begin to wind down his career. Hasn't really happened yet. So he says, look, I'm off to France. And it's it's so, so there's that kind of awkward thing in the background at Bayern Munich where they've got a very good promising goalkeeper who's tapping his feet you know, wondering when he's going to start getting game time. And then with Germany, you've obviously got Ter Stegen, Kevin Trapp, maybe a few other guys in there as well, who are probably more than ready to step in for Manuel Noir. But it's going to have to, it's going to come down to whether either these head coaches are ready to make this big decision. All this, I'm assuming, all this is on the basis that Neuer isn't full fit, mm. doesn't get back into form, and nothing kind of changes between them and the World Cup. If he does, and he's great again, fine that he keeps his space for both teams but it's just interesting that he's now at this point in his career where there's kind of these kind of clouds or or uh you know dark clouds on the horizon for him and there's people ready to step in yeah. i mean yeah um you point out a, a lot of good things there and i think the one thing to remember is the last time there was these dark clouds around him um was when he came back from that metastasal injury, right? And and it took mm. some time for him to regain his form and d- did play a major role for Bayern Munich winning the Champions League in 2020, um, you know, and then also won the Goalkeeper of the Year award, was in contention for World Player of the Year as well, uh, both at the Ballon, well, the Ballon d'Or was cancelled, but for FIFA, and certainly. Um, so I think... For him, it's like the big question is, can can he repeat that? Mm. I think still that Manuel Neuer is the most dominant goalkeeper in the world when he is in top form. Um, I think that he is the sort of goalkeeper that can win you a tournament, which is not something you can say from a lot of goalkeepers, right? I mean, we'll all look back in 2014 and the performances that he had and the impact that he had. Mm. Um, we look at 2018 when he did come in and didn't have the sort of impact. I don't think Ter Stegen would have made a difference because Ter Stegen isn't an impact keeper, but a fit Manuel Neuer makes your team a lot better, right? Um, so I guess the question really is then, can Manuel Neuer replicate what he did in 2014? And I think if he is in 100% form, he can. I think if he's if he's not, then Germany are kind of screwed either way because mm. of the goalkeepers that can replace him, none are of the same level as a peak Manuel Neuer, even when they're peak. And Ter Stegen certainly comes the closest. Um, I think what I like about Ter Stegen probably the best is his, his ball-playing abilities. That's probably the, the one skill that he has, that, that Neuer has as well, right? This ability mm. to play almost like an extra defender. Kevin Trapp doesn't have that. Um, I think the one thing with Ter Stegen has always been his size. Neuer is very imposing. Um, he's the tallest of the bunch as well, and he still has like that imposing box ability. I guess like what I'm trying to say is um, if Germany want 
to have a hint of being able to win the World Cup, Manuel Neuer, they need a Manuel Neuer in top form, right? And otherwise, they're just going to compensate. Um, no matter mm-hmm. who else they're going to put in goal. I think Trapp probably deserves a chance. Ter Stegen probably also deserves a chance. Sooner or later, we're going to have this conundrum anyways, as you said, because there is going to be a succession in place. Manuel Neuer is not going to play forever. Um, you know, he just can't. He's probably just one major injury away from the career to being over. So it is an interesting conundrum. I think that Flick, if if Neuer says I'm fit and I'm ready to play, Neuer will play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd be really interesting to see. I mean, I, I, I don't know, maybe... I wonder if this is just you and me kind of bouncing off each other here because you are a goalkeeper and I'm not, you know, so I'm just kind of like downplaying the importance <laughs> of goalkeepers because, I don't know, I just look at that World Cup and I'm thinking the favourites for that competition, glaring example are France, who obviously for some time I think had a very average goalkeeper in charge, not in charge, between the posts, mm. um, historically actually as well, if you think go back to like that 98 team as well. So... I don't know. And maybe this is a good segue to the next topic because I actually think Germany's bigger problems will probably be the three or four players they have in front of them who tend to play in, in yellow mm. and black most weeks <laughs> are possibly going into this World Cup <laughs> in just as shaky form as Manuel yeah. Neuer. Yeah, they do. Okay, so maybe to just round up, my here's me sticking up for the goalkeepers' union before we do move to Dortmund because I think it's a really interesting topic. Germany went into the 2014 World Cup with a bad defense as well and headaches everywhere. Mm. Um, remember, they won it with Benedict Hovedes playing as a right back. And I think that Neuer was able to cover up a lot of these weaknesses, especially when they played a high line with a defensive line that wasn't very good. Mm. Um, so I think this is maybe a good segue. If Germany wants to win the World Cup with defenders in the form that Niklas Süle and Nico Schlockerbeck are currently displaying, mm. they probably need a strong goalkeeper to do it. Um, having said that, like, the sigh is coming. We're talking about Dortmund. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, so I tipped that they would win this game 2-1. Um, I feel very fortunate that it ended up that way. I think you're bad. You, you tipped 2-2. Um, I think at some point we chatted and you said, oh, I think it was 3-2. Um, I went back, it was 2-2. But even 3-2, maybe for Frankfurt, would have been a more justified result. Because mm. Dortmund will come out of this game and say, okay, this was a hard fought for victory. Mm. Um, we came, we went into a very emotional cauldron that is the Waldstadion. The stadium is always like this. And we walked away with three points. But they really shouldn't have. Um you know, there is the two penalties that Frankfurt should have been given. Um, mm. The Adeyemi foul, the Sule foul. The Adeyemi foul should have actually been a red card on top of that. Um, the Sule, okay, this is one that you, Manuel Grefe, obviously, um, in his retirement, has discovered Twitter a little late, like on the eve of Twitter being completely destroyed by Elon Musk. Manuel Grefe <laughs> went on Twitter. So we, this might be a short-lived thing, but Manuel Grefe in his hiatus days, in his retirement from being a referee, one of the best referees, maybe the best referee German football has ever seen, has discovered Twitter and has these long threads in where he just completely destroys his successors and the DFB. Long may it last. It's very entertaining. And I mean, he's right most of the times, but he pointed out in his thread that the Sule should have been... A, possibly a penalty and the Adeyemi should have been a penalty. 
So going back to this game, is this one where Frankfurt will say, well, we really got screwed here. And Dortmund will say, well, this is the sort of wins that in the past went against us. I think Frankfurt will probably look back and say, hold on a minute, was Stefan Binkowski watching this game? Because that's clearly the obvious reason why they lost it. (laughs) (laughs) Once again, uh, I watched a Frankfurt game and... Yeah, they were fine. I mean, the, th- the kind of the the kind of conclusion I came to from this game was that you know even though Frankfurt had a number of grievances with the referees and particularly in the second half when it turned into this kind of free for all match, it really did get quite silly at times. Um, and we've seen this quite a lot in the mm. Bundesliga this season. Actually, I think I think this is kind of maybe one of this. This is another kind of side effect to the way the Bundesliga plays its football, where it is so kind of like health a leather. Um, caution thrown to the wind to an extent. It just means when these are really fiery matches that are quite well contested, when you get to this point, they get to like the last 15 minutes, players are just basically throwing themselves into each other because they're tired, they're a couple of seconds late in challenges, and I think sometimes referees have to kind of turn a blind eye because if they don't and they continue to play to the letter of the law, uh, they'll end up sending five or six players off every within the last 10 minutes of these games. Uh, we've seen it time and time again. Whether that's the right solution i'm not so sure i think if chris was here he would he would say that you know the rules are there to be interpreted by the referee he's not there to impose letter of the law he's there to interpret the law uh, as they see fit to a large extent so the referee can maybe argue look this is a very emotional game P- players were getting very angry at each other you know geo reyna by the way came flying into this game like some sort of like reminded me of watching WWE even as a kid where you had like some wrestler coming running down the causeway and just flying into the arena and just causing havoc because he came on uh when did he come on let me just check this actually I have the game right here uh he came on the 60th minute felt later than that and he's on could have got sent off for the way he was he was just throwing himself into people and getting into fights and all sorts so it was a very emotional game um, but having said that and having and having acknowledged that I didn't think the referee had a good game, I still feel like Frankfurt were their own worst enemy in this match. They threw away chances. They had so many opportunities to score goals, um, and mm. the goals they conceded themselves were actually pretty terrible as well. So um, Dortmund were terrible. Frankfurt, I thought, were very good, and that's that was the basis for which I suggested that Frankfurt would take points off Dortmund in this game in our preview podcast, but it's... It's it's such an interesting conundrum for Dortmund because you could see after the game just how much it meant to them. You know, they all went up to their away fans. They were celebrating. Yeah. It, it was as if they'd won a Pokal trophy or something, you know. Um, and I can't remember who it was. It maybe Terzic after the game. It might be in Bellingham who said, you know, we know we weren't the better team, but we fought harder for it, which... I think certainly goes some way to explain what Terzic can get out of these players. Tactically, I think they're still a bit of a mess, and I'm actually not entirely sure a lot of them are even playing very well. Um, perhaps most notably, I thought I actually thought Nico Schlotterbeck had a terrible game, despite the fact that he did kind of save a shot on the line at one point. Whether that excuses his entire performance, yeah. I'm not sure. Uh, but I thought for a large part, most of those Dortmund players didn't play very well. And... Um, they just kind of got through once again through kind of brute star power, which we've seen kind of week in, week in with Dortmund, or week in, week out rather. And mm. I guess we're just kind of, it's just this kind of experiment to see where this actually takes us, isn't it? 
Yeah, well, that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> um, I was... <laughs> there's a few things that stood out to me. A, um, how is it that professional football players that are paid millions and millions of euros a year cannot pick the right shoes to play a game? Um, and how is it that the staff around them does, don't give them the right shoes? Nico Schlockerberg was like Bambi on ice, and I don't mean this Musiala <laughs> style. I mean this the way, <laughs> worst possible way. Uh, it, it, the amount of slips in that game, uh, there was a couple of Frankfurt players that that happened to too, but Dortmund's defense was all over the place. And I don't understand how in the year 2022, with mm. the amount of support these players have, in terms of medical staff, supporting staff, coaching staff, none of them can pick the right shoes um, mm -hmm. for a game. I understand that the, it's, it was surprisingly warm in, in Germany uh, for a late October, um, that the field was probably heavily watered as a result. But that just can't happen on that level. And that sort of professionalism, like that kind of mis those kind of mistakes can cost you games, right? And these are the little things that you see with Dortmund at times that you don't see with some of the other top sides in European football. Um, there's almost like a level above where these kind of details are not just overlooked. Mm -hmm. And I'm surprised that Dortmund got away with it in the end. I mean, yes, Nico Schlockerberg's defensive play was incredible. Um, I think it was the uh, Jesper Lindström strike that he prevented. Mm -hmm. And... Um, Frankfurt will, will look back at this game and probably think, well, we got all the right pieces. I think if they play like that against Sporting, they will probably win and go through in the Champions League um, if they still have fit players after this game because it did feel like they were going 180 miles an hour against each other. It was just these waves and waves of attacks of both sides. They were just rushing and it seemed incredibly messy by design almost. That these mm -hmm. teams were just throwing each other at each other. I I watched the Man United game um, right after, and it was like such a contrast in terms of how Eric Ten Hag just played this like really measured game. How how much less running there was in the Premier League in comparison to this game, and how less mm -hmm. how much how far less physical it was. Um, I mean, this is just a game-by-game -game comparison, but when you watch things back-to-back, -back, well, in fairness, it was Saturday and Sunday, so not completely back-to-back. -back. It was, um, But it was still kind of very... It really stood out to me, right? When you mm -hmm. have these two games right, right close to each other. And I think that is really interesting because you almost wonder is... When is one of those Bundesliga teams kind of trying to go into settle down things and it's really hard if you have teams like Frankfurt and I mean Frankfurt do this by design right I mean we've seen this going all the way back to the Niko Kovac era they play this game by design they 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 funnel you into this cauldron of stadium um, which is loud and hot and aggressive and they make you play the style because like they don't always traditionally have the best players, although they are getting to a point now, I think, where they're actually also technically quite good. But by design, it's almost a little bit like Atletico Madrid. They want you to play the style of game. They want mm. you to be uncomfortable. And yes, Dortmund completely engaged with it and got away with it. But there's often teams, and we've seen Frankfurt beat Bayern Munich at home 5-1. There's often mm. really good teams that engage in this kind of style and get completely drowned by it. So you almost wonder... 
if Frankfurt did this all by design. They wanted to create this atmosphere in which Dortmund almost lost themselves and almost got intimidated. And yeah, they almost got away with it. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting you mentioned about the style and the tactics because I actually think it was a game in which Frankfurt's tactics, for the most part, actually worked. I was quite struck yeah. by how much Frankfurt actually dominated in the middle of the park. Uh, you know, we talked about Goetze last week and thought he had a great game. Uh, I thought Kamada had an outstanding game as well. Sebastian Roda yeah. did what he does well. And in contrast, I actually thought um, Ozkan was notably behind the pace in this match. Uh, he looked like he was kind of chasing shadows throughout the game. Uh, Jude Bellingham got his goal and that's kind of all we'll talk about and that's fine and you know, Twitter will go nuts about him for another week and add another 10 million euros to his price tag or whatever but I thought defensively he was actually quite suspect in this game for a large part of it and similarly Julian Brandt, another match in which he just kind of he just it just frustrated immensely. I mean, he got a goal out of it, and yeah, okay, maybe that's all he's on the pitch to do. But for large chunks of the game, he couldn't even string a pass together, and it was it was just a hugely frustrating match for Dortmund, in which I actually thought Frankfurt controlled the match, they controlled the pace of the game, they controlled the center of the pitch, uh, and even though I thought Kolomoani actually had a good game, uh, and he has shown a lot of good mm. form this season, and. Lindstrom as well in particular you know we're talking last week about he's actually really been able to add a lot more goals to his game this season um that chance that yep. he missed again forced a really big save from Cobell that kind of chance we hit it with the bottom of his boot it still kind of felt to me a wee bit like Frankfurt were crying out for a, an established number nine in there who could actually maybe finish some of the chances that were kind of they, they kind of fluffed to a large extent so I'm kind of bored of you know, moaning about Dortmund every time they win uh, because I feel like I'm just being a spoiled sport and saying, well, you know, it wasn't a very good performance. But it, it, it's it's just it's just what happens when you watch these games, when you watch Dortmund right now. You are kind of just watching chaos reign and they seem to benefit from it, which is fine. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky one to kind of... Um, it's, it's, a tr- it's a tricky thing to kind of um, draw conclusions from because... I don't want to just sit here and say, yeah, Dortmund were great and they deserved a 2 one because I don't think they did. And I think there's still huge problems with that team. Um, if, the only real benefit, only real players I'd say actually had a really good game were probably Mats Hummels and Gregor Kobel. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, Kobel was excellent. That was probably his best performance this season. Mm. Uh, really stood out to me. And he did probably rescue them that those those points um huge points too because when you look at the standings now they're they're right in there right um mm. we're seeing a little bit of a separation there at the top of the table now and um Dortmund are keeping track keeping pace uh, with the other mm. big teams i think before we move on to to talk about the team that they're pace, keeping pace with um at the very very top i think we need to really quickly talk about daishi kamada um i wrote an article this this week about um, his potential future um, and where he could potentially go to. And this is on this is on Forbes. I am doing a huge feature um, this week for the Substack on Kolomuani. So stay tuned on that. I think um, you know, especially what you said about a number nine, because I don't actually think he is a center forward. Uh, mm. I tend to agree with you there. I think he's more at home almost, even though he's quite tall and. Um, 
he's very fast and he's almost better off almost playing off the wing a little bit and this is where you've seen um, him being very very strong right and actually probably also one of the reasons why they've been able to quite well compensate for Philip Kostic's departure um, but Kamada is an interesting one because I do wonder what's going to happen with him next. I know in September they were they gave him a huge offer to renew his contract, but he plays like that against the likes of Borussia Dortmund. He has a market value of 22 million euros at the moment. I suspect that's going to go up. Um, he's playing well in the Champions League. He's playing well for Frankfurt in the Bundesliga. He's going to be at the World Cup where he's going to play against Germany and Spain. You know what the World Cup does to players market values if you have a good performance against one of those big teams let's say mm. he does score against germany or spain you just know you can add another five million to it but he's a free agent at the end of the year mm. so you almost wonder right because there was links to benfica and everton i think he's probably outgrown those teams right now what do you think yeah i think so too i mean i, I don't really see the point in him it, it, it would feel to me like a sideways move for him to move to benfica uh unless he harbors some great unknown intrigue in living in Portugal, which certainly wouldn't begrudge him. <laughs> it's a lovely place. Mm. Uh but yeah. <laughs> it's it's yeah. it's a really interesting I think I think the interesting thing about Camada is that he's come through and become a star for Frankfurt as the club itself has kind of moved up from tier to tier. Uh, you know, a few a few years ago you could arguably say, well look, he's playing for a team in the bottom half of the Bundesliga. Uh he maybe has aspirations of playing in Europe. Uh, maybe he wants to make a bit more money. Maybe he wants to play in a league that back home gets far more exposure. So you could say, okay, maybe an Everton or a Southampton or someone like that where you know he's maybe more of an established player uh, for his national team. But he's now at Frankfurt who are playing in the Champions League, who've just won the Europa League and who are knocking on the door for a top four finish this season. So as you said, the clubs that have been linked with him in the past, Everton, perfect example of this, where maybe a year or two ago, Everton mm. would have been a step up from Frankfurt. And financially, I've no doubt that they probably still are, but he must be looking at Everton and probably wondering, well, mm, you know, Frank Lampard's trying to rebuild that squad there. Up until very recently, uh, they were struggling. Um, mm. Are they going to be able to turn things around? Are they going to be fighting relegation for the next two or three seasons? So I wonder if his kind of uh, delay in making his plans clear to Frankfurt simply come down to the fact that he maybe hasn't had the kind of offers that would push him out the door or pull him out the door rather uh, compared to staying at Frankfurt and I guess we just kind of have to wait and see it's maybe going to be a bit, a bit like the Philip Kostic situation where he might have to wait around for a club like Juventus to come along and I'm not saying that Kostic made the right decision there because mm-hmm. Juventus are in all sorts of uh, bother right now but he might be sitting around waiting for a top half Premier League side or maybe a team in Spain to come along. A team that's a notable improvement on Frankfurt because uh, I'm not sure Everton and Benfica offer that right now. No, I don't think they do. And I think the other thing too is that you have to kind of look at what happened to players that left Frankfurt for quote-unquote greener pastures. You know, Mm. um, the, the vast majority of them did not improve the situation. Um, Luka Jovic comes to mind, right? He's now at Fiorentina where he's finally regaining his form, but, you know, he he could... Fiorentina is a club that doesn't even play in the Champions League. You know, mm. There's no disrespect to Fiorentina. I, I, I love Florence. I, know, I love those jerseys. It's a legendary club, but it is essentially the Frankfurt of 
of Italy, isn't it? Um, in a nicer city, in fairness. I, I give them that. Fiorentina is lovely. But, you know, he hasn't really exactly improved his career by going to Real Madrid. Ante Rebic, what is he up to these days? Is he still at Milan? You know, so, uh, I think you know, so, yeah. The fact that I don't even know what he's doing. Yeah. So uh, then there we go to Sebastian Haller. West Ham did not move work out for him. He made a step backwards then to go to Ajax. Of course, we don't know what will happen once he regains his full fitness. All indication is that it, things are going well for him. So fingers crossed. But um, it took him a few years after leaving Frankfurt to actually go to a club that's bigger than Frankfurt, right? In mm. terms of income, in terms of visibility. So, you know, that wasn't exactly a move that right away worked out either. And Philip Kostic, as you said, is now in Europa League hell with Juventus and Serie A is a disaster, a coaching change and all that. And so didn't exactly work out for him either. Um, so you almost, if you are at Frankfurt and they, and it looks like because they made Kostic a huge offer financially, right, to stay at the club, that mm. money is now earmarked for someone like Daishi Kamada. And you almost wonder if you are Daishi Kamada, wouldn't you be better off to continue the journey with this club? Because I think that to reverse this, Frankfurt have shown and have provided the evidence that, okay, well, you, you're leaving. That's sad. We would, of course, like to keep you. We're just going to find this other guy in the lower reaches of, I don't know, the French League or Denmark or... Spain or wherever they go shopping and just make him do this exact same thing because this is a club that's built is greater than the sum of all of its parts. And you almost wonder sometimes if these guys making career choices that they don't realize that what they have is actually very good because they're playing at a club that's actually accentuating all the best the best of these players. So mm. I, I'm actually not sure like a move away is is a good career move for Daishi Kamada. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's 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 number of cautionary tales, and I, I guess it maybe comes down to what's happening with Goatsa, doesn't it? Because I I did kind of wonder whether he was the kind of successor to Kamada, or whether you know he's been brought in to kind of play alongside him. And so far, they've played really well together. And it's that kind of signing that can potentially kind of entice a player like Kamada to stay put, especially if it means that they're. You know, it's, it, okay, maybe it's a bizarre week to talk about this when they've just lost to Dortmund. But if they can really make a push for the top four, yeah. then and potentially another spot in the Champions League next season, then that is huge. You know, and that, that's exactly what kind of that's the kind of stuff that Kostic continuously talked about when he was weighing up whether to leave Frankfurt or not. And the main thing was whether they're playing in the Champions League. Um, so, yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see who's linked with them, who's made an offer for them. Uh, and whether they can offer a better sporting project because, as you mentioned, and the players who have left Frankfurt in recent seasons, it's very hard to find uh, a better sporting project, especially with Oliver Glasner right there right now, who's a very good tactician, uh, whether you can find another head coach that can get the best out of him. So I've been told by a reliable source that they have signed another attacking midfielder already for the winter. So who knows? Interesting. Yeah, I'm still working exactly on what's going on there. So apparently he's coming from the MLS, but we'll see. Um, something to keep an eye on. Uh, Is it Ricardo Pepe? No, it's not Ricardo Pepe. <laughs> <laughs> I have someone in mind, but let, let's, let me do some more digging on this. Um, 
Ricardo Pepe. That, that, that got me out of my concept here for a second. He's doing quite well in the Netherlands, in fairness, to Ricardo Pepe. Yeah. But can he do it on a cold, wet night in Augsburg? That's the big question here. Um, evidence says no. Well, um, can you do it on a cold, wet night at the Alte Försterei? Gladbach apparently cannot. They almost did. Uh, this is the first time in the Bundesliga this year that Union Berlin have turned around a deficit. They went from 1-0 to 2-1. 96, 96 minutes and 30 seconds it took for Union Berlin to win this game to jump back on top of the table of Bayern Munich to silence those that thought the run was over when they lost to Bochum last week. They're back on top. Difficult match. Gladbach was always going to be very difficult. Wow. I mean, I mean, the one big takeaway, of course, is that they once again outperformed the XG, Stefan, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And do, do you know what? Like, I just thought this performance was just so impressive because there were so many things that were going against uh, Union in this game. Uh, number one, they had two goals ruled out. Uh, yeah. Now, I think the second one's probably quite fair because he was offside. First one, I'm still kind of up in there, but it just kind of strikes me as being a ball to hand incident when, you know, um, I think it was Becker. He clearly jumps and his hands are within, you know, his silhouette, if you want to say. Um, yeah. So maybe I'm just being old fashioned, but I thought that was unfair. Uh, the Trammell goal at the end as well that was ruled out. I actually think that was kind of... He was offside, there's no doubt about it. When you look at it in kind of like mm. slow replay, he is offside. But I just feel like both of those goals five years ago maybe would have stood, I'll put it that way. Um, so they had that going against them, two goals which were ruled out. Um, the other thing that was going against me as well, that I actually didn't think Becker or Sabatchu played very well at all. Uh, John Sabatchu obviously no. going through a bit of a poor run at the moment. Uh, quite a number of games that he hasn't scored in. And... I think this is exactly the point of the season in which, you know, these guys who are kind of focused on the stats and analytics, this is the part where they would kind of say, ah, we told you this would happen. We told you that these guys who are scoring goals for fun with very low XG would suddenly start hitting blanks and Union would start to struggle. And I actually think, even though that did happen uh, in this game, I thought Union combated it really well and... That goal that they scored in the last kind of, well, not the last minute, the fifth minute of extra time, um, seventh minute, actually, if I'm not mistaken, mm. I think that kind of goes to show yeah, what Union's kind of, it's almost like their kind of um, secret weapon is that if in doubt, they can just start going with these long balls, with these kind of whooping crosses from deep, um, mm. and it causes all sorts of havoc. And Gladback were just, Gladback were absolutely stunned by it. Um, they look like it's almost like a boxing match we're just kind of waiting for one of the heavyweights to knock out the other guy because he's just kind of dazzled and just kind of wandering around the ring and it was not Gladbach's finest moment by any means I thought they were quite poor throughout the match to be honest with you I thought another thing that went against Union as well is the fact that Elvedi's goal was just completely out of the blue um, you know I think Urs Fischer would be a bit worried that that's the second weekend in a row that they've conceded a really soft goal from a set piece uh, which is something they really should be doing better with, but I don't know. I just thought I thought Gladbach were quite poor throughout the match, um, and Union were just very impressive. Not in a traditional sense that you no know, everything was working for them, but the way that they combated the fact that things weren't mm. working for them 
Uh, it just goes to show there's far more strings to their bow than maybe some people would suggest they have. Uh, and they just kind of show that mental fortitude to stay top of the league and well done to them. Yeah, I think my takeaways from that, and you kind of pointed out already, is that we were always wondering when Geraldo Becker and Jordan were going to hit a dry spell, right? And, mm. and what that would do to the side. And well, the answer is that someone else will score. <laughs> That's <laughs> Nico Behrens with the first, right? And then Danilo Ducky with the very late goal. Um, and I think what impressed me about that late goal is the fortitude to never give up, to have a goal ruled out, the winner ruled out by Trimmel um, minutes mm -hmm. before. That would have been a sucker punch for a lot of teams um, to not come back and score another one, right, and lose the top of the table. Uh, I think that if when if and when do if Union, I'm gonna stick with if here, not when Union Berlin lose the top of the table, um, it would be very hard for them to regain it. Every mm. week that they're up there and annoy Bayern Munich, Bayern Munich will have this. A, this conundrum that this team is in front of them that they have to chase, which, hmm. you know, yeah, they have been very good lately, but there is a slip-up in there somewhere. You just know it's going to happen. And on top of that, you have now in Freiburg on, and Dortmund two teams chasing Bayern, right? That you could be very well in a situation where you're all of a sudden fourth rather than second. So as long as Union Berlin are up there, it's going to be very annoying for, for those other two teams that are trying to chase them. And you just know that they probably know that too. Uh, and so to come back in the last minute and to score a winning goal like that, that is the sort of stuff that makes you believe. And every yeah. week that they are staying on top, you know, that is the sort of thing where you're like, okay, well, so we came back from that. All of a sudden you have this winning mentality and it's just winning... Winning creates more winning. That's how the sport works. You know, a lot of it is not naked stats. A lot of it is mentality. And when you have this belief that you can just keep winning and that nothing can stop you, this is how Dortmund won their title, their first title under Klopp. Hmm. It was stuff like that. Um, this is how Leicester continued to run. It's like, surely they're not going to win here. And then they do. And... You know, that is, that's the nice thing about the sport, that these stories can happen. And then even when, you know, their reliable goal scoring dries up for a few weeks, because I had lots of people in my mentions saying, like, oh, there's going to be a dry spell when Peafock and, and uh, Becker are not going to score, and that's when they're going to drop. And it's like, well, yeah, that's happened, but the other thing didn't. <laughs> they're still <laughs> up there. So I think it's just a, it's a wonderful story, and it shows you that, and I think it's also a lesson for for a lot of other teams in Germany that you can do a lot with a lot more with less. Um, mm. I mean, look at Freiburg, who've also won again, who are also still in the top four. You know, they're just one win away from going first. And it, this is just a really wonderful story, and I hope it just lasts. Yeah, there's also like another aspect to this as you talk about like how much this annoys Bayern at the top of the table. The thing that's probably playing in the back of maybe Julian Nagelsmann's head. Well, maybe not, actually. I don't think he's really losing his sleepover just now. But the thing that we've talked about already on this show a number of times this season and what I think is a huge factor is that the teams that you would traditionally say would have a set a strong second half of the season, Bayern Munich, obviously, 
Um, mm. That kind of goes out all out the window this season because of the World Cup. And the thing that's really interesting, I was looking this up as you were talking there, in case anyone, any viewers are wondering if I'm just sitting tweeting away, I wasn't. I was looking up how many international players Union Berlin have, and Transfermarkt says they have six, but of those six players, I think all but maybe one of them won't be going to the World Cup, A, because they no longer play for their national team, or B, because their national team's not there. For example, there's two players from Norway, mm. you know, Christopher Trimmel in Austria, for example. The only player I can really think of is maybe if Jordan Sebaciu ends up going with the United States. Uh, but besides Rani that... Kadira, Stefan. Rani oh, yeah, of Kadira. course, yeah. Yeah, okay, so maybe two. for Germany. Yeah. Yeah, but well, he's not going to... Yeah, he's not going to start, though, yeah. is he? So he's, it's not like he's going to rack up huge mm. minutes or get injured, really. So... Yeah, you compare that to Bayern Munich, who have fourteen active internationals, if I'm not mistaken, and it mm. it it goes to show the the huge kind of the, the, the fact that Bayern and Union Berlin are basically playing that they've got completely different campaigns ahead of them. Union Berlin just have to kind of keep tabs on that top spot until the winter break, then they have a whole preseason ahead of them with about ninety five percent of squads, and. The crazy thing as well is, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the commentator on the Bayern Munich game or or the Bundesliga game, actually, the Union Berlin match, uh, I wish I could say who it was. I forgot who it was, but he made a good point that I think Union Berlin are one of the few teams in division who haven't had a major injury yet. And this is something that I talked about, that Mm. kind of big feature I did on Union Berlin a few weeks, maybe a month ago now, and how Urs Fischer and his head coach, or his assistant manager, rather, are, you know, they're industry leaders when it comes to rotating their squad, specific training regimes mm-hmm. and make sure these guys never do too much exercise and never overexert themselves. They never get injured. And that more than whether Becker and Jordan are outperforming their XG, I think that's going to have a much, much bigger impact on the longevity of this Union Berlin form. And for now, it seems to be pointing in the right directions. Mm, yeah, it's actually interesting that you bring that up because, like, a, I mean, anyone who hasn't yet should be reading your article um, or mine on Jordan because they kind of go into that same direction, right? Um, but I had a really interesting conversation with an agent on a couple of days ago. It's don't specify it, but um, we talked about a bunch of stuff, but we did briefly talk about Union Berlin um, and what this person said to me is that a lot of people look at Urs Fischer and they see this older guy, right? This older Swiss guy with this gray grizzly beard and his really kind of old school kind of commentary and quiet and almost really calm demeanor. And he said, don't underestimate him. He's one of the most forward thinking coaches on the planet. This guy, when it comes to sports science, when it comes to underlying stats, when it comes to all these things, and when it comes to player recruitment, and he, he said like he has his work with players that play at Union Berlin or have played at Union Berlin. When it comes to player recruitment, this guy is one of the best because he just knows exactly what sort of players he wants. He won't, knows exactly what the player will bring to the team, and he can explain it to the players. This is why you mm. have a guy like Rani Kadira who always had the talent, and all of a sudden he's at Union Berlin performing the way he does. Um, this is why you have a guy like Jordan. All of a sudden, you know, he he comes in there, and it's not just his attacking, attacking mm. prowess that's important. It's all the other things that he does. That's why you have someone like Geraldo Becker, who always was fast, talented, good player. All of a sudden, being 
the player he is now. Uh, it's because he has this understanding of what exactly he needs for his system, but he's also very good at explaining it to the players. So I think it's almost like this, he really um, dresses himself up as this old school kind of coach when in reality he's the exact opposite, which is really interesting. I thought, you know, it, it was really, the, the, the way it was put to me, I thought it was really fascinating because I think a lot of people don't see that part of Urs mm. Fischer. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I absolutely agree. And like, just my final point before maybe we wrap things up is that having spoke to people at the club, and again, this is all in the feature I wrote, but having spoken to people at the club, the thing that came up time and time again is that his assistant head coach, whose name passes me by, uh, he's the kind of tactical whiz. And they work well because Urs Fischer is this really good man manager. As you said, he gets the best out of these players. He gets them understanding what he wants them to do. But he's obviously got this uh, assistant head coach who he's been with since he started off as a coach, actually, I think, all the way back to mm -hmm. before Basel. Uh, they just got this great kind of yeah. yin and yang thing where one of them puts together the system, the tactics, and the other one ex ex manages to teach the players how to play it. And it's a great combo. Uh, and it's working working wonders at Union Berlin. And it's why we're now almost halfway through the season and are still top of the Bundesliga. Yeah, long may it last, as you always say. I think um, <laughs> looking at my phone real quick to see who they're playing next, because I do not have the entire match days in my head, um, just to see who's coming up next is, give me a second here, the next game is against struggling Bayer Leverkusen, mm. November 6th on Sunday. We'll preview that much more. Uh, in the next show that we do in association with Get German Football News, well, the next show, not behind the paywall, we're doing a Wednesday show. Probably, they probably, well, we will do a Champions League wrap up. Um, that's the the last Champions League group stage matches. Um, thank God it went through really fast. And <laughs> other than that, anything that we're going to need to pluck? I think you're doing a piece on Wolfsburg this week, right, Stefan? Yes, by the time this podcast comes out, I'll have a, my newsletter up on the Substack on Nico Kovac and how his tactical changes have managed to turn things around at Wolfsburg and kind of get the best out of their attacking players. Uh, so yeah, if you aren't already signed up to the Substack, please do give it a go. I, we do see a lot of people take out free trials and they do eventually sign up as well. I'm not just saying that as some marketing ploy. A lot of people do seem to uh, enjoy what we do. And I mean, I think we offer i think we agree that we offer a decent bang for your buck you know we obviously put out you get three ad free shows a week you get two newsletters as well as uh constant threads that you know so users can ask us questions and stuff as well as we also put out match reports whenever we go to games as well so we think it's a fair return for well five dollars a month i think so yeah. yeah i think so i think so because like we have three guaranteed post just behind the paywall plus the two normal podcasts and then as you said we do bonus content as well um so mm. you get more than you guaranteed at times um there's some stuff that we have in the pipeline for this upcoming month and then of course during the world cup as well so stay tuned on that um but yes as always this show is brought to you by bet online and uh stefan until next time auf wiedersehen
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.